You're listening to the Million Praying Moms podcast, where we believe every mom is uniquely designed by God for His purpose, but also a part of something much bigger than she could ever be alone. Authors and moms, Erin Mooring and Brooke McLaughlin. Hey, that's us. Hey, it is. We're going to help you make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. Listen in on real-life conversations with the experts about real issues parents face today and learn practical ways to focus on Christ as you seek wisdom and hope for the difficult job of raising children in today's world. If you're ready to handle life with grace because you've been in the presence of God, you're in the right place. Here are your hosts, teachers, writers, speakers, moms, and lovers of all things cozy, comfortable, and coffee-related, Brooke and Erin. Hey there, friends. You're listening to episode 14 of the Million Praying Moms podcast. Erin, a lot of our listeners know that you and I have been talking about the issues Christian parents are facing today for several years now. We've just been doing it using a different platform. That's right. For the last two years or so, Brooke and I have been coming to you live on Facebook for weekly episodes of what used to be called Mob Live. Mob, of course, standing for Mothers of Boys. That's where the whole idea of talking about important issues got started. And we did something like 50 episodes over that two-year span, many of which you guys asked us to make available in a podcast format. So that's what we've decided to do. Over the summer of 2019, we're going to be mixing in some of our favorite older episodes of Mob Live and offering them here as podcasts. Believe me, there were some absolutely fantastic episodes and we do not want you to miss out. Erin, you know this particular episode is really special to me. It's been over eight years since Stacey Thacker and I wrote Hope for the Weary Mom, and a lot has happened between now and then. Since that time, you and Stacey have matured, and your kids have matured. We hope so, anyways. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) A lot has changed. You've learned a lot more about living with hope, one of which is that we always need it. Weariness comes and goes in cycles, no matter how old your kids are. And hope is something we can't do without. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I've loved most about getting to be an author is the ability to look back and see how God has been faithful to prove himself through those messages. Somebody asked me maybe a couple years ago, if it felt like what I had written eight to nine years ago was still true today, or if my thoughts on things had changed over the years. Well, my thoughts have certainly matured over time, as I would hope they would, but in all of our writing over the years, we've tried really hard to stay so close to the truth of the Bible, which doesn't change. So yes, we mature. Yes, our kids mature. Our understanding of things change as well as we grow and mature in Christ, but His Word, no matter what, stays the same. This week and next week's episodes are a reflection of that kind of change all we've learned about hope as we've matured in our faith and walked through different seasons as our children have grown up. We've actually split this chat with the three of us, you, me, and Stacey Thacker, up into two episodes for you. Today's episode is the first one, and we'll share the first five of 10 important truths we've learned about hope since Brooke and Stacey wrote Hope for the Weary Mom over eight years ago. In next week's episode, we'll continue and share the next five truths. If you haven't yet gotten your copy of Hope for the Weary Mom, you'll be able to find a link in our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. Let's get started. 
we have a great thing to talk about today. Um, if you are new here and haven't, haven't been introduced to Brooke and Stacy before, um, they wrote a wonderful book called Hope for the Weary Mom, like we mentioned. How many years has it been? Like, okay, so I, le- I like lose track of time. Yes. Completely. Okay, I just had to look. So here's the book, right? Yeah. This is yeah. the one copy I have in my home. Oh, um, I have one too. Oh, good. Yay. Like, it looks like it's got lipstick on it or something. I have no idea what that did is. You, did, you, did you blot it? Did you blot your I lipstick? Blot I did. You caught me. No. Whatever, whatever you have on hand. I was yeah. looking at the copyright date, okay? Because I had to look in, inside the book to remember how long ago. It was in 2012. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. 2012. That book is as old as my youngest child. It is almost six years old. It will be, no, no, it is six years old. It will be seven years old in January. Well, I looked it up. The original blog post that started everything was uh, August 25th, 2011. The idea that the the little, the baby Hope for the Weary Mom started in 2011. So it's almost seven years. It's That's amazing. Yes. Okay, so like, I can just say that my youngest child and your book are like the same age, you know, they were developed they little, they little grow up together and born in 2012. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what are some things that you would say have changed mm. in those six years in your home since you, since you wrote hope for the weary mom? Wow. Well, I mean, obviously, when I look at look at my kids, my bookends, um, you know, uh, my oldest at that time was like 11 or 12. And my baby wasn't quite two. So um, really, what burst out of that was that span, there's 10 years between them. So my oldest now, as we talked about is graduating this year. And so and my youngest is eight. And so the weariness that settles in my life is a little bit different than it was maybe at that time. It's you know, my kids don't wake me up in the middle of the night very often anymore, but they definitely go to bed a lot. <laughs> and we have things like prom and, and, and the emotional weariness is really what's replaced that physical weariness. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, just the sheer fact of like lugging children around and all their gear and, you know, all the things when they're little that you have to do for them. Um, it's really been um, transitioning more into an emotional weariness where I'm we're making decisions about life and we're, we're talking about the future and we're picking high school and college classes and all those things, which just, it's, it's still a weariness. It's just, it's just shifted a little bit. Um, and so I think that's one of the big changes for me for sure. Yeah. I would say for us, um, you know, I was just thinking you know, your oldest was about 12 when we wrote it. And now my oldest is 12 and almost 13. Um, he'll be 13 next month. And so um, I, you know, this year was a big year for me. I turned 40 and I'm getting a teenager, like, ah, you know, but that's a lot, uh, that's a lot to handle in one year, but <laughs> <laughs> it's going well, but like, we're, you know, my kids were really young when we, when we started this and we, we were very, we also had just had a miscarriage, um, like right after Stacy wrote that first post that kind of got everything started, um, we had had a miscarriage and I was just in the pit. Like I really was in the pit of weariness with having two very young, very physical boys, very high energy boys who were just 23 months apart. And then all the emotional junk that comes with um, losing one, like that was my mindset and my emotional state when we were, um, you know, first kind of fleshing out this this subject of, of 
trying to find hope. Like we were trying to find hope for ourselves as much as we were trying to give it to anybody else. I think I say that with, with full, you know, and I think Stacy would agree with that for sure. We needed it as desperately as, as anybody else did. And I think that's what makes the book so authentic is that it is there, there are some gut wrenching weariness kind of things that we share in this book. Um, you know, we're in a stage now with our boys where we're talking about cell phones for the first time. We're t- talking about, um, you know, I'm not just giving them scripture that they're just accepting and regurgitating at this point in our lives. They are owning their faith. Um, we're, we're in that stage where they're, you know, they've just moved into what, um, you know, forgive me, I'm a, I'm a psychology girl at heart, but what Piaget would call uh, concrete operations, right? They're, they're being able to, they're, they're able to think very concretely and deeply and analytically. Um, whereas a few years ago, they were still just accepting everything I said for the most part. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're having deep conversations about their faith and they're questioning things about their faith that they just accepted from us um, before. And they're beginning to understand what it means to actually live their faith instead of just saying it. So I feel like it's a really important time in our lives, but um, but I've matured a lot in my faith and in my parenting um, since 2012, 2011. I mean, a lot. I have, um, um, I've watched my children mature. Um, and just one other big thing for us is that we moved in the last two years. So we had to kind of restart over, you know, start over and, and reorient our lives um, to a new place. And, and so there's been uh, and, and a lot, a lot changed for us just because of that as well, because we moved, um, the boys are now in school where they, where we were homeschooling when we wrote hope for the weary mom. So like there is, there is really not a piece of our lives that hasn't changed. I would say mm-hmm. since we wrote <laughs> hope for the weary mom, but the heart of it and the, the, the weariness I have found is cyclical. You get, it's like Stacy said, it's different. It's a different, maybe kind of weariness. I don't, I don't, I'm not picking up a two-year-old and carrying them up to their room, kicking me, you know, physically trying to get away from me. Um, We're not having those kind of tantrums anymore, but we do still have, you know, 10-year-old size tantrums of, of, you know, different, different type and, and different content and different reasons. And so it's cyclical. You go through seasons where it's, you know, it's intense. The weariness is intense. And then you, you um, have a, you know, a moment where you've got some peace and, and you're living in the hope in a different way. And then something will happen and you'll cycle right back to the weariness. It, I don't know that it ever really, that weariness ever necessarily um, goes away completely. And I think there's a good reason for that, which we will probably get into as we go today. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where we are. I was going to say one of the most important things that I recognized from even just from the title of your book when it came out, because so when it came out, I was, it came out in January, right? Of that year, 2012. So I was uh, seven months pregnant with our third and we were getting ready to move. So he was born in March. We moved to a new city in May and I was homeschooling at the time as well. The important thing for me was naming it weariness. You know what I mean? Like saying, yes, I am a weary mom. And I think a lot of growth happens in calling it what it is. Like weary is different than tired. Mm -hmm. It just has a different feeling to me. 
And so I feel like that helps a lot of moms to say, yeah, I'm just, I'm weary. It doesn't mean things are bad. It doesn't necessarily, it can mean things are just really not good right now, but it can just mean I'm weary. And at the time I was weary because I was pregnant and then had a newborn. And now we can be weary because of our schedules, because of all the things kids have going on. And it's like you said, it's not the same. Although my son's alarm went off at midnight last night. So I am a little physically tired from that last night. Like, what were you doing? I don't know. Anyway, but I think that's great to recognize that weariness looks different for everybody. And while what I hear both of you saying is you've grown and matured a lot through it, but it doesn't mean you still don't get weary at times. Right. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. our topic today is really birthed out of that growth and maturity that you both have experienced and that we all experience when we do recognize what's going on. And as our kids get older, there's like two things going on there. Stacy, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today? Well, um, Brooke and I were having a conversation that was inspired by an invitation I had to speak to a group of a MOPS group uh, locally. And I said, Brooke, wouldn't it be cool if we could do something like Listen, I always say we, even when I speak alone, because I always feel like Brooke is with me. (laughs) Um, And we just kind of came up with this idea of 10 truths I've learned about hope, um, you know, since we started this journey, there's 10 truths I've learned about hope, because they're just things that have risen to the top of all that we've learned. Now this, I mean, we could probably do a hundred. I mean, I don't know. We've, We've talked about this and lived in and out of it for so long, but these 10 things were what really rose to the surface, not just things that we really grabbed onto, but things that other moms really spoke back to us that really meant something to them. And so it really was a give and take. And so when we started working through this message, I got so excited (laughs) because it really felt like, oh my goodness, look what God has done in our lives and the lives of the community of women that have grown up around this message. And so I've gotten a chance to do that talk a couple of times. And every time I do it, um, I see the tears start, you know, going in the eyes of the moms. And it's never that I want to make a mom cry, but I always know that God is the one speaking when that happens. It's not me. It's not Brooke. It's not, you know, you, it's that the Lord is speaking. And I start to see these, like, like the armor come down, the veil come off. And, and it's been so neat to watch that happen um, on a local level. And I, every time I would see it, go, Brooke, we've got to talk about this because this is so exciting because this is all of us, you know, and so that's kind of where this idea came from. And um, it's birthed out of both of our books, but you guys showed the first one, but I'm going to the second one. So there's mm-hmm. that one. There's really um, 10 truths that really are through these first, these two books that we wrote on hope. One is the traditional book and the other is the devotional. And, and we're just going to talk about them today. So like almost like I caught popcorn hope. We're just going to go back and forth and just talk about what God has taught us in these truths. And I know, Aaron, I know you have tons to contribute to because you've been right there with us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like, Oh, I remember every little step along the way, except I didn't write the book. (laughs) You were right there with us through the whole thing. You know, I think really all of us, like, I feel like this community, I mean, Brooke, I I totally believe this with all my heart. It's all of us. Like we're just like, we're just the mouthpieces, right? We're just, we're the two weary moms that got that. Hey, you guys start writing. And everyone is, it's so, so all of us together. Like I won't break out into high school musical. I promise. (laughs) Why not? Why not? at my house talking um, but I feel like it's just all of us that we just get the chance to share it you know so I think it's all of our stories yeah I want to say real quickly Erin something that you said that I know um 
Stacy has a funny story about it, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to share it. You said that there was there was freedom for for you in naming it as weary, um, but we didn't actually love the idea of being known as the weary moms in the uh-huh. <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah. Stacy, you have a little story about that. Why don't you share that? Uh, are you are you talking about when we got an email? Okay. No, you had somebody come to you in the grocery store, I think, or something, and she was like, "Oh, you wrote that weary mom book, or something like that." <laughs> Maybe you've forgotten. <laughs> I've totally forgotten, which is also part of you know what's happened in the past several years. I forget things even more and more. But um, I was think- when she said that, I was thinking about the email we got from someone who said, "Hey, are you guys sure you really want to be known as the weary moms?" Yeah, and we were like, "We kind of wear that as a banner now," you know. Yeah. Because there is such an identity. And I love when you said that, Erin, that um, once you name it, it becomes something that you can work through and with. And when you when you keep hiding it and shoving it down, then, you know, you can't move through it and grow through it. But Brooke, do you remember that story? Because I'm spacing it. I feel like somebody came up to you at church or in the grocery store or something like that. And yes. they had read, I think this may have been before we even had the book, or maybe it was yes. like that first self-published book that we did. Yes. Um, years ago, uh, they said, Oh, you're that weary mom, or you're like, you're the one that wrote the, the hope for the weary mom book. And you were like, Oh, yeah, I am. (laughs) I think it was a friend of mine who said, Oh, you were so honest. I think that was it. And I remember going, (laughs) it really was. (laughs) it's all out there now yeah I think that was the conversation maybe that's what it was yeah Yeah. but still it was very much labeling it what it was and it's not that it's not that any of us really want to be known as weary and I remember our publisher was really like can we not think of a better word and we were like no because that's how it feels that's it that's the word so I really I really truly believe there's not a better word for it and it's so much more than just being tired do you know so I think it is such an accurate picture of of you know and and it ties in so well with a verse from the bible about do not grow weary in doing good because Mm -hmm. what we're doing in motherhood is good Mm -hmm. um and it's like I am. And it's, it's that whole thing of recognizing that we can't do it ourselves, that we, that we have a need. And so you say, I am weary. That's saying I I can't do this myself. So anyways, um, let's dive in because we could talk for like hours here about all of these things. So we're going to share 10 truths. Um, we've learned about hope through this journey over the last six years in writing it. And I love that it's kind of like a follow-up. Like we wrote this so long ago. Let's talk about where we've come since then. So the first truth that we'll talk about today is hope is a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll run with that one. And um, that really came out of a chapter that I wrote in the first book um, about my phantom mom and phantom mom. Um, I named her Carol And, um, you know, the phantom mom is that mom that lives in your head that is like pushes you and guilts you and makes you feel like you've got to do more and be more. And, and you've got to compare to all the other moms who like in my world, like all their little girls had perfect hair and like coordinating outfits and all those things. So phantom mom was Carol. But when I really wrestled through that, what I saw instead of phantom mom pushing me was that hope was a person inviting me to lay down my burdens. Um, so, so Jesus is hope. And I think it's, um, I'm going to have to look at, it. I think it's Matthew 12, 21 mm-hmm. in the new living translation. And we found this um, very early on where it says, and his name will be the hope 
of all the world, that Jesus is actually hope. Like hope isn't like a personality trait of, of Christ. It's like who he has revealed himself to be. It is his name. He's named hope. And so this idea that I don't need to let this phantom mom push me, but I can come to a person who is hope. And he invites me to, in Matthew eleven twenty eight and um, come to me, like come to me, come to a person and, and, and lay down what's making you weary and I will give you rest. Like that's his invitation. And so I just, for me, that was a huge thing that um, it wasn't just like a hope or a wish. I think the phrase in the book, and I think Brooke loves this phrase, is that hope is not a wish or a magical sprinkle of fairy dust, but hope is a person. And so when you, as a mom, you feel so alone, right? Don't you sometimes feel like so alone? Like, and to think that Jesus is a person that we can come to who will walk with us and never leave us alone and carry that burden for us. That I think is one of the first steps and really working through that weariness and trusting him with it. I love the thing that I really love about this particular point of truth or, or hope is that, um, you know, I think for a long time, I thought that hope was a feeling. I thought that it was some um, ethereal idea or something that I was working for that was going to change <clears throat> how I feel on a daily basis. And, and I'm not saying that hope doesn't change how I feel on a daily basis because it does, but it, it is not this, um, it is not this unobtainable thing in the cl- idea in the clouds that you're, you're reaching for and can't bring down. It's a person. And, and when we have our eyes focused on um, that person, when we have our eyes focused on him um, as our source of hope, then it begins to change the way we feel. So if we're just looking for the feeling um, in and of itself, we're often going to fall short because our circumstances are going to dictate the amount of hope that we feel like we have. Yeah. That's not what, that's not what hope is. Hope is a person. Hope is keeping our eyes on Christ and allowing him to define our circumstances instead of the other way around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. the idea that we need to stop thinking, I wish this would happen. I wish this, I wish that. And, and hope is so much more concrete because it's rooted in the word of God that never changes and in Jesus who never changes and wishes are wishy-washy. I mean, like they just, they just go along with that. They're like you said, they're this magical idea, this like, just throw it out there into the universe and see what happens type of thing where um, hope is rooted in something that we can know never changes that we have written down on paper for us and we can hold on to and keep in our minds and hold on to. So um, hope is, is Jesus. Like that is where it is. I love that you mentioned Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Um, if you haven't read the message version of that, it is so life-giving to me. I read it many, 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 many times. And um, I know that it will give you that kind of hope that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. All right. Our second truth today Hope meets us in the mess. Praise Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amen. Everybody, if you agree, say amen in the comments. Right yes. Amen. Amen. And that's the subtitle of the book, right? Yes. Yes. Let God meet you in the mess. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I always wonder, like, why in the world God messes with us anyway? Like, why does God mess with me? Like, really? <laughs> 
But when I think about even just the facts, just the basic facts of the gospel that Jesus came to a messy world, like he was born in a stable, which I promise you, it's close competition, but probably messier than my minivan, like probably, <laughs> like he literally came to a messy world, like physically messy, like his situation was messy. His parents were a little messy, like they weren't like officially married, like, I mean, there was some messiness around surrounding his family. And so he hung out with messy people, like his besties were fishermen, like they were not like, you know, the cool kids, they were like the ruffians, right? And so he ate with tax collectors and sinners, like, Every night at six o'clock, the fact that Jesus ate with sinners really encourages me. <laughs> I'm a table full, me being the number one, you know. So I feel like just even that idea that Jesus is okay with my mess. And I think that this is one of the things that I just love knowing that he's not afraid of my mess. Like he's not afraid of my mess to enter that mess with me. Um, I think is such a beautiful, beautiful truth. It is really a beautiful truth. And I think the other piece of that, <clears throat> as we as we talk about God or Jesus entering into our mess, I think we also have to talk about the fact that most of us wish he would just get us out of our mess. But that's not the way that God works most often. You know, we serve a God that we know is strong and mighty. I think of that children's song that I taught my boys when they were really little. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. mighty. <laughs> yes. Right. So yeah. you teachers and singers are going in your head right now. So um, that was something that was so important to me. And that is good sound theology, right? He is so big and strong and mighty. And we know that we know that's true. And so because of that, we also know that if he wanted to, he could change the mess. He could get us out of the mess, whatever it is that's on your list right now. And I know if you're listening to this, you know immediately what that is and how you would like God to get you out of it. And so sometimes there becomes this um, frustration with God because we feel almost like he's not being good to us mm -hmm. because he can get us out of the mess, but he isn't getting us out of the mess. Or we look around and we see other people who God seems to be getting out of their messes in miraculous ways. And yet that's not what he's chosen for us. And that's hard to swallow sometimes. And yet, as we look at the scriptures, we see quite clearly that it's God's habit to get in the mess with us. And instead of just miraculously getting us out of it, it's what he does. It's his pattern. And there is a beauty to that, that God sees us in the midst of that mess and will come down and get in it with us. I mean, when you're, you know, when, when you're at the grocery store and you've got a cart full of kids and they're, they're all screaming because they want something different and you've said, no, you can't have that. I mean, every single mom listening right now gets that, that picture. Do you want someone... I mean, how many of you have had, I had this happen to me. I've had moms in that moment come in and entertain my kids for me so that I can just pay the stinking bill and get out of Walmart, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the picture. That's kind of a picture of, of God, people getting in the mess, not just like those people are not going to necessarily get me out of the mess, but how much do we appreciate it when they get in the mess with us? It makes us feel seen. It makes us feel known. It makes us feel like God cares about us and that he sees our needs and, and he does. So I don't know why I don't have a reason. I don't have an answer for why God chooses 
to act in some ways for some people and in some ways for other people. What I know is that there has been tremendous value in my life because God has not gotten me out of the mess, because he has asked me to walk through it with him. I can look back on that time six years ago and say what Stacy said before, it, look at what God has done. And that's what makes it all worth it. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I had two things that came to mind during that. Um, I did the Beth Moore Daniel study earlier mm-hmm. this year. And one of the things that she mentioned was that we pray for God to deliver us from something, but he actually does three different things. He can totally deliver us from mm-hmm. it. Like he could take us right out of that mess. And so you, you can pray that and he could do that. And he does that. Um, but he can also deliver us through the mess that, which means yeah, you got to stay in it to learn what he's trying to, and, or to grow in the way that he wants you to. So it's not always going to be, I'm going to pluck you out because there might be something he wants you to grow or learn in, in that mess. So he could deliver you from it. He can deliver you through it, or he can just take you home to be with him, which is another kind of deliverance. Um, And, and in that case, like in what we were talking about in Daniel, that was one of the possibilities that was that you would die from that. But Mm -hmm. when we think of being delivered by, from, you know, by God, we think of just being completely removed by it, but he might be delivering you in a completely different way through it. And you might have to stay in that. And the other thing I thought of was that mom, whoever you are listening, God is not surprised by your mess. Mm -mm. Like whatever your mess is right now, he is not scared by it. Mm -hmm. He has seen it all and he will come into anything, any mess. So if you're sitting there going, yeah, God's not going to meet me in this mess that I got myself into or this feelings that I have or this situation in my home. That's a lie from the enemy. Mm -hmm. Like he will meet you in any mess and he will, he will like not, he can, he will meet you in any mess and he will not be scared by it and he will not be surprised by it and he will not run away from it. So just believe that right now. Okay. And there are some times in scripture, if you look carefully, you will see that there are situations and people that God actually required to live a hard, messy story. Mm-hmm. And you you might think, well, good grief. You know, I always think of Hosea during, yep. <laughs> during this. I mean, I just always think of it. Job would be an equally mm-hmm. good um, example, but you know, Hosea asked, uh, God asked Hosea to, to marry a prostitute. And as you look at that story, like, you know, G- Gomer ran away from him back into prostitution. And God said to Hosea, go get her, bring her back. And then she ran away again, back into prostitution and to sin. And God said to Hosea, go get her and bring her back. And I, I think about that and I, I'm stumped by it in some ways because it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair that God would ask or require his prophet Hosea to live such a horrible story. I mean, how much heartache and, and hurt did God say, I want you to live this? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't, you know, we, we like to think that God has good things for us, that he, he woos us and that his love is, is good and uplifting and, and that he has the best for us. And if you look at that, it's hard. If you're not looking with spiritual eyes, if you're not looking at the bigger picture of God's story, it's hard to look at what Hosea went through and say, God was good in that. Cause it doesn't always look like it, but the reason 
that God had Hosea live that story was so that he could paint a picture um, for us today, for, for his people, Israel, but also for us today of his faithfulness. We look now at that story of Hosea and we can see our God is faithful. Our God never gives up on us. Our God will come after us over and over and over again. He will never stop coming after us this side of heaven. We now see the eternal perspective of Hosea's story. And, you know, I don't know whether whether or not Hosea knew that at the time, but it teaches us something really big about God and it increases our faith and gives us strength in those weary moments to keep going. Mm -hmm. And there may be some of you watching right now who God is asking you to live a messy story right now. He's asking you to do it. It didn't happen by accident. It it maybe didn't even have you. You might be sitting there thinking, I have brought this on myself because of my choices. It may be that God's hand was sovereign in the whole thing and that he's asking you to live this messy story because there is someone watching you who needs to know that the God you say you serve is worth following. They are looking at your messy story. This woman who is listening right now, who says, I love Jesus. I will follow him wherever he leads me. They're looking at you and they're saying, will you follow him in this? Will you follow him in the hard places, the really hard places? Is the Jesus you say you serve really worth following even in this? And they're watching. And so the same way that we now get to watch Hosea's story and learn from it. There are people that are watching us and saying, is it worth it? And, and that's the beauty of that. That's the much bigger purpose of what God is asking you to go through right now. And I found in my own life that if I can embrace that, if I can, if I, I don't have to understand everything, but if I can keep believing that there is something about God's bigger story that is at work in inside of my mess, then I can keep honoring God in the midst of that. Which leads so, so perfectly to our third truth about that we are talking about, which is hope is a choice. Mm-hmm. Like what you just said, hope we have to choose that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, you know, that comes from a chapter that Brooke wrote. So I'm, I want her to share this part too, because, um, this is one thing that I think as weary mamas or any, in any time, especially living a hard story for God's glory is this point that you have to choose it. So Brooke, uh, tell us what God taught you about that. Because honestly, I, I feel like I learned from you on this point. So, so, so many things. I love this and I, I love it. And I give God the credit for it because um, it was so profound for me as well. Um, there is a verse in Second Peter, Second Peter one three, that says His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Okay, so if we if we believe that that verse is true, and and I do, we we all three of us here, and hopefully you all listening, believe that you've reached that point clearly where you believe that the Word of God is true and that it applies to your life. There's nothing in there that doesn't apply to you in some way. Um, If you believe that's true, then what you can deduce from that is that God has given you everything you need in order to do this life well. He's already given it to you. It's it's 
and he will continue to give it to you. It's not just a a one-time blood transfusion kind of thing, right? It's a constant pumping in of everything you need for life and godliness. It's there. You have to choose to take it. You have to choose to, to accept what God says he's, he's constantly wanting to give to you. Um, hope, being able to keep your eyes on Jesus as your hope, as the person of your hope, comes from a deliberate, intentional, and focused attempt to believe that what God says is true is true, regardless of what you see around you. It's something that I have found in my own life and I I will say as well in the lives of my children that I've had to fight for. I have to choose when when the world says to me, you have no hope. Nothing is ever going to change. Your child is always going to struggle with this. I have to say no, no. And if you're standing outside my window lurking around, you might hear me at times say that out loud, (laughs) you know, talk to myself sometimes, but I find that 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 physical out loud no stops my train of thought from from cycling downward into lies that the enemy wants me to believe. He wants me to believe that the Bible tells us that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his only job description. He is after us and he wants to destroy us. And one of the ways that he does that is by throwing those fiery darts, which are the lies of the enemy at our hearts. So if you find yourself in that situation where you're hearing those voices in your head saying, there's no hope, this is never going to change. You're never going to get out of this messy situation. Then you have to say, no, no. That is not what the word of God says. That is not the truth. And so it's this intentional putting off and and putting back on, putting off the lies that are so easy to believe when your life is messy and difficult and choosing instead to put on the truth of what the word of God says. I was sitting um, at my neighbor's house several years ago, eating dinner with them. They are master uh, grillers, um, just wonderful at the grill. And so they would invite us over to eat with them every so often. And we always loved it. And I'm sitting there and my husband decided to go check the mail for some random reason. He just walked across the street while we were, you know, there was a lull in something and, and went and checked the mail. And inside of the mail, there was this <laughs> bracelet and it says, choose hope. And I knew immediately who had sent me that bracelet because there wasn't anybody else at that time that knew how profound those words were for me. And this bracelet I wear almost every single day when I'm driving at 10 and two, I can see it right here. I can remind myself when my kids are bickering in the background, choose hope. There is more than just now. There is more to this than just this moment. Choose hope. Don't believe the lies. Choose hope. I encourage you to to get something in your life that says choose hope and remember that God has given you that choice. It's yours. He, you can make the choice to choose hope because he is hope and he's given himself to you. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Our truth. Number four is hope is sometimes unseen. Yeah. I think this one um, for me has really played out in the past year or so. Um, I, I feel like as believers, as Christians, we're kind of, we're like a peculiar people. We're called to believe like unbelievable things. Like we can't like 
see God like as a, like at this point in history, like we can't touch him and see him the way that they did when Jesus walked this earth. But um, I feel like just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there, that it still is real, just even though you can't see it. I think it's Hebrews 11, 1 that ties faith and hope together where it says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the assurance or the conviction of things unseen. I'll try to say that better, of things unseen. And so I think um, uh, this past year when we went through a really, really hard trial, actually a little over a year ago, it all started for us um, when my husband was um, in the hospital and he had a, um, a primary cardiac arrest, his heart stopped for 15 minutes. And I remember in the core of those real critical days, really hard days, I remember telling people, I can't see through this. I can't, I, I just said it over and over again. I can't see through this. And I had a couple of really wise women in my life just like put their hand on me and go, you're not supposed to. Like you're literally not supposed to see through it because hope can see through this. Like Jesus sees through this. He sees the pathway through and he just wants you to fix your eyes on him. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes um, I love the question is we keep what well, we keep circling back to hope as a person is to ask yourself, where is hope in this situation? Lord, I can't see you with my eyes, but show me in my heart. Just because I can't see you doesn't mean it's not real. And I think that that's a really good thing to remember that even when it's unseen, hope is still there in the midst. And maybe you have such a narrow vision because Jesus wants you to look at him and not on down the road where you feel like you can fix it or solve it or control the situation. Yeah, I love that. If we've, if we're keeping our eyes fixed on him, if we're hiding the word of God in our hearts um, during this, the off season, during, during the season when life is maybe not quite as weary, then we're going to, you know, in those moments where we can't see past the weariness or the, the hard situation, um, God can bring those things back to us to give us the strength that we need to keep walking and, and also bring people around us um, who can remind us of those truths when we don't have the strength to believe them for ourselves. Yeah. It's like training, like training for hope, you know, like you have to, you have to have some background. You have to have some, like something, so a foundation Mm-hmm. for those times when you aren't seeing it mm-hmm. so that it won't crumble when you get there. Yeah. Mm, so um, truth number five, hope is contagious. And I have to say, I know you guys are, are the experts here because you wrote the book, but I want to say that putting a book out there that's about hope is a perfect example of how it's contagious in having moms latch on to that idea. So I'd love to hear a little background on that. Well, I'll, I'll start and then Brooke can interrupt me as much as she wants. So I feel like one of the things I've learned about hope is that everybody needs it. Like, mm-hmm. it's such a great thing. Like, I feel like my, my, the lady that does my hair needs it. The guy who bags my groceries needs it. I remember early on in this message, we had one of our mamas tell us that she was sharing truth from hope with her brother who was in the service. And she's like, I'm, I realized I was talking about your book, but he's not a mom. <laughs> you know? And it was really resonating with him because everybody needs hope. Like everybody wants hope. It's such a great message whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, everybody hungers for hope. I think it's, I think it's a core need that we have. And I think that's how, how one of the ways the Lord reaches for us is through that need. But, but for us and our particular story, we really saw this happen in a really huge way when we first wrote Hope for the Weary Mom. And um, I'll start. And I want Brooke to finish because this was her idea. <laughs> You know, Brooke and I always laugh. Brooke has a lot of amazing ideas and about <laughs> once a day, 
she'll message me and go, I have an idea. Hey, me like, too. Okay. <laughs> I have an idea. And I was like, yeah, I get that. I like, yeah, I have an idea. Which, which so this, we, can I just say, this is really funny because Stacy and I are the extroverts and Brooke is the introvert, but that just makes sense that she's thinking about all these things and then she has to, you know. If I can't sleep at night, at night, it's because I'm thinking. I can't stop thinking. <laughs> and we just always say what we're thinking all the time. Yeah. Right? That's right. And so we receive all those amazing ideas and we, we talk them through because that's what we do. Yes. Um, but in the very early days, back before Hope was turquoise, back when we first um, self-published the book, and really, I mean, this is a huge long story, um, but I'll shorten it a little bit. Um, we self-published the first two versions of this book um, for many reasons, but I think mostly because the Lord wanted to teach us something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we self-published this book. And so um, it was going to be, I think it was just on the Kindle version, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so right before it came out, um, Brooke said, hey, I got this great idea. I got this great idea. I think we should give away Hope for the Way Mom on Kindle for the first 48 hours. Do you remember that conversation? Right? I totally remember that conversation. And I also remember then saying um, to you, like, I have an idea of what I'm asking God for, like how many women I want to reach, because honestly, For us in that particular season, it was not about making any money off of this message. We, it it wasn't about how many we could sell so that we could have a big check. It was about reaching that one mom. I think Stacey, wasn't her name Anne? Because the book at that time was green and we were thinking like (laughs) Anne Green Gables, right? Yeah, we yeah. named her Anne. That's so yeah. true. So if your name is Anne, hi. It was for you. <laughs> and other women too. But we, yeah. we literally, we were praying for Anne. Uh, we were praying as if that book was just for one woman. And so we were asking the Lord for a certain number of, of Anne's to be able to reach with that message. And I said, I've got a number in my mind, but I don't want you to tell me what your number is. Don't tell and me. That's number two. That's right. And so we just, and it ended up being the same number, I think, if yeah, I remember correctly, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So Stacy was like, well, why not? Let's just do it. You know, let's just run with it. I don't see any reason not to. And so we did. So we gave it away for 48 hours, just the Kindle version. And as it turns out, the number that I had in my mind was 10,000. Yeah. I think that's, I think if I remember correctly, it was 10,000 that I wanted to be able to give away in two days. And that was the same number that Stacy had. And after 48 hours, we had given away over 26,000 copies of that wow. book. And yeah. we couldn't believe it. Like I kept sending, I, I was the one that had access to the numbers. And so I kept sending Stacy and her husband, Mike, because he designed that original cover and was also very invested in that project. I kept sending them messages. We just broke 10,000. We just broke 15,000. Like we just couldn't even believe it. How quickly hope became contagious and that women were sharing it and praise the Lord, because you know what? Mm-hmm. There is a very clear call, gospel call to action inside of hope. And so part of our prayer was, Lord, get this into the hands of moms who don't even know you yet. And would you use this to expand the kingdom? So we were just blown away. Two little non-published girls who had bloggers, yeah, bloggers (laughs) who really had no experience in the publishing world whatsoever at that time. God did that. God took Mm -hmm. that simple message of hope and got it into the hands of 26,000 women in two days. 
and we were blown away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I mean, there are countless times in the Bible where God tells, or Jesus tells people to go tell what God has done in their life. Mm-hmm. And this is just like a real world example of you both saying, this is where we've found hope and this is what God has done. And you told people and you shared it. And obviously it's contagious. Like it just catches on. And when you find that you can't help, but tell other people it's, yeah. it's really beautiful. Stacy and I have both have an affinity to the story of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well in Matthew. And I love, I actually did a whole talk one time about her that where she you know, I called it, come see a man, come see a man. And I think that is our calling as believers. The way that you tell people to come see a man in your life may look very different than the way that, that Stacey and I and Aaron and I are are called to do that in this season, but we are all called to run shouting around saying, come see a man, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And not just that he knew what I, what I did, but that he changed my life. So if there's something that God has done, our, our faith should be contagious. It should be, um, it should be that kind of excitement saying, come see a man. And, and um, I just, I love that illustration. Mm-hmm. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in an everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.